so, so when I think about distributed cloud, it is the ability for us to take features and capability that we typically associate with public cloud with a big hyperscale provider and be able to disperse those capabilities out uh, regardless of where the location is. And this ties in some to our edge discussion, right? It ties in some to our hybrid cloud discussion, and it ties in even more to the um, idea that we are now going to have uh, all these things that are just distributed out and we really need a common control plane. That really to me is what has brought distributed cloud to the forefront. Oftentimes technologists take perfectly good terms that define an aspect of technology and well, use it to death, taking all meaning away from it and relegating it to just being a buzzword. Well, today I'm joined by Kent Kingery and also Heather Ferguson from the Solve team as we decode what some of these buzzwords actually mean and how they can be a benefit to you and to your organization. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. Well, welcome everyone back to Cloud Talk. As I mentioned, I'm joined by Kent Kingery from Microsoft, as well as Heather Ferguson from the Solve program here at Rackspace. And today we begin our conversation by me asking Kent, where do these buzzwords come from? Where does a good term go bad to get relegated to the point of being a buzzword? Well, I think you know, buzzwords are are like any other sound bitey kind of a thing. We're trying to find a a quick and succinct way to describe a concept. But what happens with buzzwords, they end up being either so obscure that nobody really knows what they are, or they end up having 58 different definitions depending on who you talk to. And we'll come back to the cloud, you know, word in in a little bit, but but that's a primary one right there. Well, I think there's probably a third. So either too obscure that people don't understand them or they, they're, you know, in this case, we're talking about technical buzzwords. And so somebody who is not a technologist who can't hope to grasp it, but yet they're going to use it. And it brings up one that comes, well, it's out of order than what we talked about, but one that drives me nuts and that's DevOps. Because I've heard too many times people use DevOps for, what's that person doing? Oh, he's, he's DevOpsing. Oh, we're going to go buy some DevOps. Oh, right. we're going to apply DevOps. Kent, DevOps. We Why? just bought two 55-gallon drums of DevOps, and we have them down on the dock. We're not really sure what to do with them at this point. Can you get somebody sure. to install our DevOps, please? <laughs> All well, right. So- I, and, and that's a... That's a buzzword, though, that that frankly comes from two very logical concepts, right? I mean, most of, of the time that we have spent in uh, software development applications, et cetera, uh, we have divided our time between development, the dev, and the IT operations, the right, ops. Right. And the whole goal is to sort of break down the walls between those two worlds. You and I grew up in a time when there was definitely a very, very big separation. You know, the developers threw things 
things over to the wall to ops. Ops threw a problem back to dev, and you know the never never the twain shall meet. You know at the wall. So, well, and and it's it was this outflow. So it was, it was this goal to bring the two groups together, but it was also aided by technology, of course, because we moved to an era where where operations you didn't necessarily touch or deal with a physical server or a firewall or a, or a storage unit, but it was all just. It was addressable. It was software. It was added to the right. code. And so DevOps came from somewhere. It meant that your developer also had to be an operations person and think operationally. And it took our operations guys who were like, oh, devs suck and I'll never code to, I guess I got to learn PowerShell. I guess I need to uh, open up and learn how to script because their world became scriptable. Well, and, and the outgrowth of DevOps really sort of becomes complementary to Agile, right? And which is another buzzword that yeah. we can talk about. <laughs> but but the idea that we're that we're trying to get to a continuous, you know, sort of delivery model and that we're not breaking things up and putting in, you know, gating factors and silos, et cetera. And we're blurring the lines between those that create the tool and those that wield the tool. Right. There, there's that right. real, real benefit to it. The, the, the problem with DevOps, and I think buzzwords like this in general, is they, they have devolved to a certain degree into terms that can be slapped on the outside of a product right, and sold. And yeah. I was really only half joking about my 55-gallon drums of DevOps because, quite frankly, you can't go on a product site anymore and not find, oh, enables DevOps. You know, it, it participates in DevOps. You know, it, this is the DevOps chain. Just like, you know, we used to have information superhighway and all of yeah. these other, you know, again, buzzy right. buzzwords. So. All right. So that's that's one of the words. But, of course, it applies, as we talk about, with infrastructure that's addressable. That really speaks to the to infrastructure that is made available and massed by hyperscale clouds. But it does get to that word cloud. And uh, that was one we thought about saving for later, but I thought, let's just jump into this because, you know, sure. everybody says that question. They say, hey, do you have a cloud first strategy? I mean, that's that's the, the ultimate buzzword, buzz phrase right now. Cloud is one of those words that I find I still have to explain to people when I tell them what I do. And this is primarily non-technical folks. So when you yep. try to tell grandma what it is you do and you tell her that you're a cloud architect or a cloud engineer, you know, her purview yeah. of the clouds are those fluffy things that are floating around in the air, right? They bring rain. And, you know, you don't want to get into the obvious discussions about dowsing rods and, you know, those rain dances and those sorts of <laughs> things. But, but if you, if you really step back and think about it, that this idea of cloud, at what point will we become or will it become ubiquitous enough and common enough that we don't talk about it anymore, just like we really don't talk that much about virtualization anymore? I mean, we don't run around spending sure. a lot of time talking about hypervisors and virtualization. You know, technical guys do. <laughs> but but we'll get to a point where cloud is just, that's just the delivery approach that we take to deliver the thing. 
Right. And, and, and should be viewed through the lens of, of what's the right type of infrastructure for, for the application itself. You know, do you have, do you have geographic boundaries? Are there compliance boundaries? Are there performance or capability uh, requirements that, that fit into it as well? And then choose an infrastructure model that best matches, um, you know, the, the way to best, you know, deploy that in a way that meets all those requirements and, and gives you the right amount of operational flexibility that you could hope for. And the follow-on again to that is that cloud becomes an operating model. Yeah. And it no longer is the technical necessarily bits that go underneath it. Because if you have a certain type of infrastructure in your in your public platform provider and a certain kind of infrastructure in your uh, in your own data center and a certain kind of infrastructure in the operation shack at the edge of your oil field. But if you are using the cloud principles, you know, the ability to have um, scalability and the ability to have um, uh, essentially hands-off management, those sorts of things, um, all of a sudden you now start to think of how does it operate regardless of where it is. That is a great definition and a great way to think about it. But you used a word in that last um, comment, and it's one of the words we talked about that has become a buzzword. And that's edge, edge. What's your edge strategy? Does this work at the edge? Where do you collect your data? At the edge. Where do you like to stand when you're by a cliff? At the edge. Tell me about edge. Kent. Who's your favorite guitarist from U2? <laughs> the edge. edge. Uh, no, Sorry, audible, I had to yeah. put that in there. That's a good one. It's a good one. So, so edge, why is edge so attractive these days, Kent? I heard someone describe the idea of edge as bringing math to the data, bringing math to the data. Now, it, it, All right. at, I at that. first listen, right at first listen, it's kind of, eh, it's catchy. It's kind of, again, it's kind of buzzy, but the more you think about it, it really is the ability for us to take the computing potential that we have in a centralized world and flush out um, uh, the pieces that need to be uh, closer to the data. So think mm -hmm. about artificial intelligence, the yep. ability for us to take bits and pieces of artificial intelligence capability and push them down to where the data is. Maybe even at a yeah. camera, right? The camera itself has a device, you know, as a device has AI capabilities so that it can do some image processing, some image recognition, et cetera, yes. without the data having to go all the way back to some centralized master cylinder and come all the way back down to the edge to tell it what to do. You know, another example that I, that I hear a lot is in manufacturing where you've got AI creating a predictive model when a, a uh, a multi-step manufacturing process when, when those machines need to be calibrated. Not the kind of thing that you necessarily want to wait for it to go back to that master cylinder, to use your phrase, and come back, but to be able to make those, make those decisions, apply the model to the data that's coming live out of those machines so that, so that you know, schedules can be set and alarms can be sounded. And theoretically, you could, by bringing the math to the data, to use that phrase again, you can decide how much math 
mm-hmm. and the specific type of math that needs to be at that data. So maybe one set of data needs Euclidean geometry and one set of data needs, you know, uh, uh, linear algebra. And, you know, and, and now I've exhausted my knowledge of, of math. Uh, but I wonder uh, how far it, you were going to go. <laughs> I, I couldn't have gone much farther at, at that point. I could have used <laughs> quadratic equations, but I didn't understand them then. And I don't understand them now. Exactly. Um, but but the the ability to tailor, uh, which not only gives you the ability to sort of cut down on the amount of computing resource that you need there, but also potentially to build bespoke capabilities that you need. So if all you really need is temperature yeah. sensing and image processing, that's a whole different ball of wax than being able to put down, um, you know, automation, uh, you know, uh, servo control, mm-hmm. you know, all of that kind of stuff. And your, and your manufacturing example is a great one. Well, and it also speaks to, you know, getting a little more definition and, and of, of the edge. The edge is, is not in a, generally not in a big data center. It can tend to also be, it could be out in the middle of, of an oil field. It could be a pipeline. It could be on a satellite. And, uh, and transit from those locations is expensive, uh, maybe not possible, and, uh, and time consuming. And so if you can do the math uh, at the edge and then just bring back the data that you need for analysis, for historical records, for compliance, fill in the blank, you don't have to bring the sum total of it. You can bring a subsection, a computed um, subsection of it. Right. You can bring the results. I mean, that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we're after from the edge is the results, yeah. not necessarily the, the raw data. Right. All right. So we've talked about cloud, but, uh, but another phrase that's used a lot is distributed cloud. And, uh, you know, it, that comes by a few different names, but uh, that we could apply to it. Uh, but distributed cloud meaning, meaning going to use multiple clouds, types of clouds, pulling it all together. How, how do you view this one? And, and I'm going to actually, actually, before you even answer that question, a lot of you don't even realize the fact that that Heather Ferguson, our our, our supreme technical uh, editor and content editor for Solve, um, is with us today. Uh, that's one that you're stumbling into, I think, a fair amount, especially in some, from some of the analysts. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing distributed cloud a lot, and I think it's. I keep asking people, I'm like, what does this mean? And what I keep hearing is it's just another way to say multi-cloud or uh, or hybrid cloud. So I am curious why. Are we making up another term for the same thing? I think Heather has hit it right on the head with the discussion of multi-cloud. And and so, so when I think about distributed cloud, it is the ability for us to take features and capability that we typically associate with public cloud with a big hyperscale provider and be able to disperse those capabilities out uh, regardless of where the location is. And this ties in some to our edge discussion, right? It ties in some to our hybrid cloud discussion, and it ties in even more to the um, idea that we are now going to have uh, all these things that are distributed out, and we really need a common control plane. That really, to me, is what has brought distributed cloud to the forefront. Right. Um, if you think things like, um, uh, well, like our Azure Arc, right, as a control plane across multiple dis- you know, disparate types of environments. And at the end of the day, as I said earlier, it's still cloud is an operating model. Right. 
where we put it is becoming less and less um, important. I will say that the one wrinkle in distributed cloud now is, or, or the one sort of goal, is to be able to have parity among the capability. And, and I mean parity beyond just conceptual capability. So it isn't just enough to have this um, a serverless capability, there's another buzzword, um, or functions as a service <laughs> or containers or whatever, but it's, it's now coming more and more to where there is commonality in how it is managed, how it is deployed, so that your, your, your employees, your IT folks, regardless of whether they're in that shack at the edge of the oil field or they're in the data center, they are familiar with what that piece of the cloud is doing. And again, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, take it to, to, to ours, you know, Azure Stack Hub, Azure Stack Edge, you get the same sort of Azure experience. That's not the only example of it, obviously, but that's what comes to mind. Well, and, and doesn't that mean now that, that we more and more have parity of capability and then which breeds familiarity, we can now make decisions about where workloads go based on the blessed requirement. What does the customer actually need? What does the application require? Back to our conversation about edge. Do we need to be sitting right next to the to the to the to the machine making the high style wingtip shoes to go back to a multi-year ago example that we you and I used to talk about? Uh, or uh, can it actually does there actually greater value if it's in a hyperscale cloud data center somewhere specific in the world? And so the benefit, of course, to, there are huge benefits to distributed cloud, but let's just make sure when we speak of it, we're speaking of it correctly, not necessarily just that we're all in on distributed cloud. The one thing that it does bring to us as well, I believe, will be the eventual realization of what we've always talked about in cloud brokerage. You know, we we talk about this idea and you, you alluded to it of deciding where the workload ought to be based on what it's attempting to accomplish, where the data is, where the inputs are, where the need is for the process. That brokerage capability becomes so much easier and better if there is this sort of common approach um, across all of the distributed locations. So a common approach that enables the uh, operating model we know as cloud. But you're right. You did call out in your last one. You're really good about leading the witness here, uh, Kent. Um, serverless. There's a word we hear a bit about. Um, so, so first over to Heather. Let's let's have Heather come back in. So, so where are you seeing serverless? Is this something that's showing up a lot of your research? You spend a lot of time reading. You spend a lot of time consuming what the industry is talking about. Let's start with your view here. So serverless to me doesn't often come off as a buzzword because it's an actual, uh, like it's a thing, like it's a it's a microservice um, that hyperscalers are providing. So um, it's, but when it does come off as a buzzword, it's because it's being used as a, um, an indicator of either like advanced usage of technology. So we're an advanced user of technology, for example, we serverless. Um, or, or it's, or it comes in as, um, a buzzword around cloud native. So that's another one that I mm. see it is someone will say, Hey, we're cloud native. We use serverless. And those are kind of like two different things in my mind, at least. Yeah. So it gets used as a way to, to kind of brag or to say, Hey, we're so cool. We're serverless. Kent. Yeah, the idea that we've somehow gotten rid of all the servers 
is sort of funny, right? Yeah. Just as we used to say that cloud is just somebody else's computers, right? Serverless is just somebody else's servers. And, but I think what's important about it is, and, and, and Heather, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head with it. It is the ability for us to not worry about the underlying infrastructure anymore. We've certainly inched closer and closer toward that. If you use functions as a service, it gives a developer the ability to stick some executing code out there and let the platform worry about allocating the resources, making sure it's big enough, handling traffic control, scaling out when it needs to, and all the developer worries about is the code that's running. So it really now becomes, you know, as close to the idea of utility computing as we have ever gotten. You flip on your light switch in the house, you're not worried about whether or not the generating plant has to spin up. You don't have to go turn a crank. You turn the switch on, the light lights up. You turn the switch off, the light goes off. That to me is the real, that's the essence of serverless. That is a great example to, to compare it to, to electricity uh, and the fact that you don't have to worry if somebody you know has to go shovel some extra coal into the plant or line up a few extra panels or give it a little more nuclear. Everybody loves auxiliary nuclear. Well, let's uh, let's let's move into another another word here. So let's talk about here's one. Here's one that's used a ton: digital transformation. And again, I'm going to Heather first because I love your viewpoint from from not necessarily a technology purist point of view. But when I say digital transformation, what does that mean to you? It, it's funny. I was saying this the other day. I think no one knows how. Um, bad marketing is more than marketers do. <laughs> so, so I think that's probably the perspective I'm bringing to the to the to the conversation here. Now, digital transformation is like the peak buzzword. It means everything and nothing at the same time. It could mean uh, changing a, a workload, or it could mean overhauling your whole digital enterprise. It, but it, um, I feel like it's used so much that it's lost its meaning fully. And uh, I think also just we've noticed that it doesn't resonate well with our audience when we have it in a title or in some of the content we produce, um, it doesn't do very well. Well, I think you really kind of kind of nailed it when you said it means everything and it means nothing. I mean, those of us who sort of live it know that it means, okay, we're going from the way we used to do things to doing them in a new way. Uh, ideally with some serverless, maybe with some cloud and, you know, got some DevOps folks, you, you know, on tapping into that 55 gallon barrel. Um, but, but back, back to Kent, um, you know, shed some light in, into this, into this word. I mean, we're, we're applying digital transformation to things that were already digital. What are we talking about here? Yeah, that's, that's when I, I really want there to be more to the phrase. And you're starting to see more and more companies talking about digital business transformation, mm. DBT, right? Um, now I used to work for a, a fairly large uh, professional services firm that that's what we did. And we viewed it as the ability to transform a business process by taking advantage of technological capabilities. The idea of business process reengineering and business transformation has been around for a hundred years. It's changing how we work. But what underlies it in digital transformation is now we're really taking the technological aspects and plugging it in, automation, um, you know, things of that nature that really do essentially transform the way that 
business runs. Um, think about AI-based quoting yeah. systems for insurance, um, being able to do automated, you know, uh, um, automated uh, chat bots, right, that, that respond back to a user. Yeah. That really is a fundamental transformation of the business process using digital capabilities. Great example. Now, you used another word, of course, as you talked about that, and that was was automation. And, and one of the, the phrases we're hearing also now is, because if automation is good, do you know what's better, Kent? Hyper-automation. Yes. Yeah. Who wouldn't love some hyper-automation to go with their 55-gallon barrel of DevOps? So so you brought this one to the table as we were planning this stuff. So <laughs> so take us take us through it. Why? What, what does it mean? What is it supposed to mean? And how are we misusing this? Well, I don't. Let's let's go back a little bit, just real quickly, to to the idea of automation, the ability for us to make sure that some repetitive task gets handled over and over and over. And for those of us old enough to remember, this is the DOS batch file, mm-hmm. right? You know, remember autoexec dot bat when DOS you know fired up, and it did a few things. Might have set your path. It might have copied a file. It might have done you know any number of things. That is set the in time. essence, it's automation. Right. Automation. Um, But where we get to with hyper automation is the idea of automating everything that can be automated. And it goes even further than that. It is. Think about the idea of marrying um, RPA, robotic process automation with AI. And now all of a sudden you move into an era where you are automating the automation. You are absolutely creating solutions that are able then to dynamically create their own bots, their own, you know, answers to things and be able to deploy that automation in response to something that the automation has discovered about the business process itself. No human ever saw it. Just in the background, the magic, you know, automation elves, you know, figured out a way to put it in there. Um, Sure, it's got shades of Skynet, um, as we've talked about, um, but but think of the opportunities around. Uh, Huge opportunities. Uh, Heather, is that is that something that's showing up in your reading as you're you're scouring the Internet? You know, hyper automation isn't actually one I, I hear very often. I do know that hyper as a term is one that shows up in buzzwords a lot because it relates to speed. But it's actually one that I actually I haven't seen very much. Well, and you know, it's it's ultimately what it comes back to is you have to be really careful about um, making sure that we stay in front of what our marketers are putting out there, making sure that what we're saying isn't buzzy, but what we're saying has meat behind it. Because all of these words and many others have, were, were created for a reason. They have definition. They are usable intelligently in a sentence. In fact, we led through most of these as Kent was using these words as part of another part of a, of a discussion. But what we have to be cautious of as technologists and as, as marketers or anybody who is, is communicating, who has a mouth or fingers to type, uh, is that you're thinking through exactly what it is you're saying and you're using your words with purpose. It goes back to, I think, in, in very real ways when people talk about, you know, how to use how to use a comma appropriately. We have all seen the memes. You know, if you want to invite your grandmother to have a meal, you could say, let's eat, grandma. Or without an appropriately placed comma, you're eating grandma and nothing good comes from that. So in the same way, let's be cautious about cloud. Let's be cautious about serverless. Let's not use it as a measurement. Let's use it as a tool that it is to create very real world solutions. So there's my monologue on it. Kent, parting words. Buzzwords are, I think, a helpful 
uh, construct to be able to give us, as I said, these these bite-sized you know chunks of 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 phrases that allow us to refer to things that do have real meaning. One of the things that I always worry about is when I start to hear these buzzwords leak into the non-technical community, they get used incorrectly or they get um, accelerated incorrectly. I think about the use of the word agile. We have agile accounting now. Mm. As an accountant, I'm not sure I want my accounting <laughs> to be agile. Um, we have the use of the word bots. You know, People don't necessarily know what we think of when we think of bots, but they certainly can draw their own conclusion about bots. So, you know, once it starts to get to the shelves Mm. of Walmarts and Targets and become a subject of an opening skit on Saturday Night Live, you know that you may have either achieved popularity and people do understand it, or now nobody understands it so much they're making fun of it. Exactly right. Heather, speak to your marketing friends. Thoughts about buzzwords? I I think they honestly come about with good intentions. People are just trying to talk about something that's going to catch attention and and make people excited about their offerings and their technology. I think the solution is just conversation. Um, One thing that's really great about Solve is that marketing and our CTO organization work hand in hand. And that's where I've seen, that's how I've learned everything is just by talking to a technical person and then them telling me, hey, you're full of it, (laughs) or that's not the right way to use that, or we prefer (laughs) to do it this way and and not have an ego about it. Um, But I think honestly, just communication removing silos, um, having everybody work together. Maybe we'll, we'll end buzzwords that way, or we'll just end up creating more. I have a feeling they're going to exist for some time. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. What an excellent conversation between Kent and Heather and I. Uh, I think Kent said it best. You know, the buzzwords come from somewhere. They're well-meaning individuals who are using them as a construct to express a complex thought. Uh, Let's just make sure they keep them in their lanes and we'll all be all right. Well, I do want to also express our gratitude to Dell Technologies for sponsoring our Solve program here at Rackspace. If you haven't been over to rackspace.com slash solve, I'd encourage you to do that. We have new articles there every week. This podcast lives there. Our new podcast podcast AI and you can be found over there as well. I just encourage you to set that as a bookmark to go check out, you know, once a week or so. Now, if you're enjoying this podcast, I'd encourage you to subscribe to it. If you haven't already, share it with friends and maybe even leave us one of those five-star reviews. Now, here's what we have coming up in our next episode of Cloud Talk. solving problems and and it's not even you know you say that and I have a conversation with somebody and I might even be in a low energy mood I might be tired or whatever and they come across with a problem and it's 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 actually involuntary my brain starts trying to solve the problem and I just find the technology cloud in particular and emerging technologies like data they they give us so many new solutions and better solutions to solving these problems And that's Emma Pudney, the CTO of Rackspace's APJ region, next time on Cloud Talk.